I'm going to try and it, it, it got a bit out of hand last time. I think it was a bit long, so I'm just going to try and cut down on the number of proverbs we look at this time. I think I'll move that out of the way. Actually, I won't actually need that. So here's an English proverb up on the slide there. Trust in God and keep your gunpowder dry. I think it uh, it's allegedly dates from the English Civil War. And it's suggesting, of course, that... Um, if you're a soldier, you should be trusting in God. But on the other hand, if, you're, uh, if you don't look after your weaponry and your musket fails to fire, and because of that you get captured or injured or something, then it's hardly, you can hardly blame God for that because you weren't doing what you should have done. So we're going to look at uh, what Proverbs says about wisdom at work. But I think before we do that, we just need to ask this question. Because Jesus' teaching on wealth in passages such as Luke 12 has often resulted in Christians actually thinking there's something rather dirty about business and profit. Um, but if you look closely at verses 30 and 31 of that Luke reading, what he says is the following. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek the kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. It's not that we don't need these things. We don't need stuff, as I might put it. Our Father knows that we do need such things. He say, uh, that's what Jesus says. He says um, he even feeds the ravens. Now, of course, he does feed the ravens, but it doesn't mean to say they don't work at it. If you study birds, of course, they put a great deal of effort into building their nests and feeding their young. Um, it's not the working at it that's the problem I think as, as Jesus sees it it's where we put our trust and where we put our focus and after all he tells us to sell our possessions and give to the poor but if you haven't accumulated them in the first place how, how are you going to do that if you haven't earned the money how can you uh, give it to the poor and I think the point is there's a difference between worrying about such things by making them into idols into the things that we trust in and working f for them. And of course we're all scared now by the terrible teachings of the prosperity gospel. But I, d I don't think we should think the answer is a kind of Fras Franciscan vow of poverty. Because there are many other passages in the Bible that talk about work and possessions and things like that. Um, 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10 for example, there's another saying or proverb here. Even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Paul is not encouraging laziness or idleness. He says if you want to eat, you better get to work and earn your living. Oh, another Old Testament reading, Ecclesiastes 5, verses 18 to 20 said, then I realize that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. The difference here, of course, is that this is a gift of God, 
not like the man in the parable who said I've, uh, I've earned all this I don't need God I've enough to keep me going for the and I'll just uh, take it I'll just turn aside the, rif- the rich fool put his possessions in place of God here in Ecclesiastes the teacher is recommending gratitude to God for his gifts which is an entirely different mindset I would suggest to you the rich fool does reflect on the days of his life in fact it says and says now I can take it easy and the teacher recommends keeping busy, busy with gladness of heart in fact I would suggest to you that the Bible's view of work is in fact to include it in the kingdom we were talking um, when David came down about how the tensions between the kingdom as it exists in this world now and as it does in, in the future as it were um, but the scripture says in Revelation 21:24, for instance the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring, bring their splendor into it so in a sense we are, if we're working we are working for the kingdom now so let's look and see what Proverbs says against the world of work about the world of work just as it uh, does about the family it brings fresh old but fresh for us perhaps thinking to the world of work so what I actually want to do really is focus just on on four proverbs um, here are phrases from each of those four proverbs accurate weights are the Lord's delight from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. I don't know whether you've thought about that before, but we're going to think about that. Um, the blessing crowns him who is willing to sell. Now, there's an interesting uh, phrase. Um, and really, by way of conclusion, then, we'll look at the uh, many other plans in a man's heart. So that's, what, that's uh, how I want to do it. Look at really just four proverbs. I will quote one or two more, and they're on the handout there for you to look at. And at the end of the handout are lots more proverbs and uh, about work, which I won't have time to look at, but I've collected some. So accurate weights are his delight. Perhaps not a thing you'd immediately expect to find in the scripture. The full proverb is the following. The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. And in fact, variations of this proverb occur several times. It's obviously uh, regarded as important. So perhaps we need to think about what it's actually saying. Well, firstly, of course, and obviously, it's a warning against dishonesty, isn't it, in our trading? Using different weights for buying or selling is what it's suggesting we shouldn't be doing, or sticking your thumb on the scales when you measure out your... uh, corn or whatever it is you're selling it's an easy way to cheat your customer and the Lord hates this and there's a proverb actually that reminds us that buyers can cheat as well which says it's no good it's no good says the buyer then off he goes and boasts about his purchase you would have observed this if you ever watched things like the antique roadshow or the uh, antiques programs it's no good look it's cracked it's chipped and then he goes to the auctioneer and said, look, I've got this fantastic piece of it. It's very true, that one, isn't it? But the buyer can cheat as well. <laughs> so it's certainly 
um, a proverb about, uh, that warns us against dishonesty, and that's why I call this perhaps honesty as the best policy. But I'd suggest to you it actually says much more than that. Because it says that accurate weights are his delight, not that they're just, uh, you know, he's just in favour of them, he always, you know, that we shouldn't have dodgy scales. He says accurate weights are his delight. And as we've been going through Proverbs, you probably notice that this idea of delight, of desire, what is delightful and desirable is actually a very uh, important thing. And um, uh, God says that these, that these weight, that when I trade, when people trade like this, when merchants trade fairly and honestly, taking a pride in what they do, there's actually something delightful and beneficial about it. Certainly it has no, there's no idea that there's something dirty about uh, profit or business or trade as such. In fact, on the contrary, when people trade honestly and uh, for mutual benefit, then it's delightful. And um, we can remind ourselves what Proverbs says about wisdom herself. It says, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence. The craftsman expects to be paid for good work, of course. But in a sense, that's not his first motivation, is it? He takes delight in what he has created. Why? Because it benefits not just himself, but his community as a whole. He's creating something that has worth in itself, not just its return in gold. And I would suggest you don't need to be a carpenter or a builder or something like that to be a craftsman in this sense, although we do have a builder <laughs> with us tonight and um, I'm sure he would consider himself a craftsman. But um, you don't need to be a builder or a carpenter. The merchant who trades honestly to both benefit both buyer and seller is doing something that God approves of. Um, David was reminding us about Adam Smith who said that capitalism is based on self-interest. Well, yeah, kind of, but I don't think Solomon Proverbs would quite recognize that. Yes, of course, as you trade, you expect to make a profit. but you're selling something hopefully that is a benefit to the person you're selling it to and if it isn't then you really shouldn't be doing it a merchant who trades honestly honestly as I said is doing something that God approves of and even delights in the Lord delights in honest scales now here's a question you can think about can you be a hedge fund manager and still be a craftsman in this sense Sure, I'm going to give you a simple answer to that, but I'd suggest that perhaps you can. You know, you don't have to live by the values of risk, and uh, even if you work in the financial world in the city, you don't have to live by the values of risk in that sense. You can use capital for the benefit of um, industry, for the benefit of people. There's nothing uh, dirty about money itself, it's the love of money and greed that is the root of all kinds of evil. But increasingly, once people forget that, what do we find? 
once people forget that the law delights in honest weights, we get, it all goes downhill, doesn't it? So instead of craftsmen, we get cowboy builders. We get merchants who exploit their employees and customers alike by selling shoddy goods as cheaply as possible just to amass a quick buck. Bankers find there's more profit in manipulating the economy and cheating the competition than there is in using their wealth to encourage fair and profitable trade. Accurate weights are his delight. The free market may be a good thing in itself. Communism can certainly deny the worker his fair wage just as effectively as capitalism can. And it can encourage laziness and jealousy as well. But as Christians, we can't afford to take the term capitalism too literally. We don't believe in capital in that sense. We don't worship it, as so much of the world around us does. And I remind you of what, it's, uh, what Paul says in 1 Timothy. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So if we do trade, the Lord delights if we trade honestly, but not if we love money and are only interested in uh, exploiting one another and making money at the expense of one another. And the second proverb I'd like to look at is this one. From the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. So you may not have thought of that before, but uh, think of that perhaps now. The full um, proverb is Proverbs 14, verse 4, and it says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. <coughs> so what is that telling us? It's telling us that if you are going to trade, if you are going to be in business, then do it sensibly. Have a business plan. Get the right kit. If you're planning to be a farmer, buy a good tractor. I mean, that's what um, the proverb is getting at, isn't it? An ox was the tractor of the ancient farmer. Some places it still is. A tractor, of course, is going to require money and fuel. If you have an ox, it will eat food itself, of course. And you may begrudge it that food. But he says, if you haven't got an ox, then your manger will certainly be empty because you won't be able to grow anything. So think about how your business will work, is what he's saying. I think plan it properly, do it right. I say a bad workman blames his tools, but a true craftsman invests in the best tools he can afford. And perhaps in, we live in an economy which is increasingly knowledge-based, so perhaps we could say invest in an education. Because remember, we're told that wisdom offers better returns than gold. There's another proverb that's along the same lines that says, finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready. After that, build your house. If you spend all the time painting your house and buying interior decorations, then you won't have any money to pay for it, won't you? will you? In fact, not only will you not have any money to pay for it, you won't have anything to eat either. He's saying, um, so, yeah, give due attention to your business. 
once you have a plan, execute it properly. Because trying to wallow in luxury and building your house is a good way to get poor quick. People talk today about work-life balance. And I think prob probably is a, a subject we should be talking about, perhaps. The, um, we certainly shouldn't be workaholics who give all our attention to work and uh, no time for our family or certainly no time for the Lord. But that's just creating another idol, isn't it? It's making our work an idol instead of, our, um, instead of money. And the Proverbs doesn't say that we shouldn't build a house. On the contrary, he's saying if we gave due attention to our, the demands of our employment, that's what is going to provide the resources to do the building of the house. If our business goes bust and we get fired from our job, we'll have to send the house anyway, sell the house anyway, won't we? So, Proverbs is telling us that it's not unspiritual to be well organized, as I once heard somebody say. Uh, there is sometimes a feeling that it is, isn't there? But that proverb, trust in God and keep your powder dry, is the way that I think we should be thinking. So from the strength of an ox, from having the right kit, doing the job properly, comes an abundant harvest. Thirdly, and this is rather an interesting one, I think, blessing crowns him who is willing to sell. And the, the whole proverb is a bit longer. Well, in fact, it's several proverbs strung together on a similar topic, as you can see. One man gain, gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the man who holds, hoards grain, but blessing crowns him who is willing to sell. Globalization, international trade, has got a bit of a bad name of late among those who actually care for the, for the economies of the third world countries and developing countries, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing in itself. If we've got something of value to trade with those who need it, then it's good to make the trade. And notice what this proverb says. It doesn't say, give it away. What it does say is, um, don't corner the market. Don't shove up the price, force up the price by refusing to sell until people are desperate. Don't manipulate the market, in other words, is what it's saying. And there is always a temptation to do that, isn't it? If somebody is in real need of something, and that's why it's perhaps about uh, grain here, staple food. If somebody is in real need and you exploit that situation by pushing up the price and ripping them off, as we say, then that is something that we should really not be uh, in favour of. And if that's what the free market means, then we must, should most definitely not be in favour of it. A fair price for a fair product is what trade should be all right. And if we're going to err, we should err on the side of selling it cheaper than uh, perhaps the market value if people really need it.
As I believe, to be fair, some global companies do. I, I believe some of the drug companies actually sell their drugs cheaper in Africa and Asia and other places. And if they do that, then we should uh, certainly we should laud that. We should praise that and uh, say that is the the thing to do. But the problems arise with globalization. I think when it becomes exploitation. So we have a multinational company and it moves into an African village to set up a farming of s on an industrial scale. Maybe they're growing biofuels or something like that. It doesn't too much what it is. But they're a big company. And they move into this village. And um, the locals have to give up their subsistence farms land. But yeah, well, OK. I mean, they were, they were hardly living in luxury in their small subsistence farms, were they? Uh, but they, what are they promised in exchange? They're promised schools and hospitals and employment and Western wealth in exchange for giving up their land. But of course the trouble is that's not what actually happens, isn't it? Because the local government officials are supposed to collect taxes and ensure that this infrastructure is built. But so often these officials don't care for their people. They just want to make a quick buck themselves. And so what happens is that the multinational company discovers it's, it's a great deal cheaper to bribe an official than it is to build a hospital. And so what happens is that the, uh, the laborers find they've been robbed of their land and they've no choice but to sell themselves into what is effectively slavery because they got, can't get any food at all if they don't. The law gives them no protection. Both the... CEO of the multinational and the local civil servant have put the love of money in place of fair trade here. So let's, uh, as we think about these things, and I think we all do need to think about these things because these big companies do listen to what people say. These campaigns do have some effect sometimes. But let's make sure when we do it we're making sense. It's not that we necessarily should be saying that the multinational shouldn't be moving into this village. I mean, it may be the right campaign to do, but sometimes, in fact, if it was done properly, people would be better off and more exempt, you know, freer from famine and, and poverty. But they need protection, and we need to make sure that if this sort of thing does happen, that it really is that the taxes are paid properly and used for the benefit of the community, and that if the um, company employ, well the company probably should employ the local people and should do so on fair terms and offer them a better wage than they were getting before out from their own subsistence farms. And the problem is with this globalization is that when it goes wrong they involve all of us in their guilt, don't they? Because we all seek cheap deals. We all go around the supermarkets and compare prices and go on the internet and see oh, I can get this a little bit cheaper if I buy it this way. And so we clothe ourselves with the products of Bangladeshi sweatshops. Now, of course, if we stop doing that, then these people would not only be uh, poor, they'd be destitute and absolutely have no job at all. And yet, we should remember that we're not supposed to be exploiting the workers and that you know if we simply accept this without making a fuss about it without campaigning looking for fair trade labels and what's the, the closed one the ethical trade agreement i think it's called
and making sure that these things are not just paid lip service but actually supported. These things I'm sure that we should be supporting to try and um, keep out of, avoid the guilt of buying, you know, profiting from other people's slave labor. And we shouldn't be frightened to encourage unionization and self-help groups, I would suggest, in such situations. And of course, if we are in a position to take decisions ourselves, if we do run a multinational company or any sort of trade that, you know, where, where there is a potential to exploit people, then let's... Um, be absolutely clear that the purpose of trade is mutual benefit, not maximum profit at all costs. But fair trade, yes, but the one who is willing to sell to trade in a way which actually enhances both parties, that is the sort of trade that the Lord delights in. And actually, Proverbs warns us that in the end we won't get away with it. Certainly, as Jesus said tonight to the in the parable, tonight your soul will be required of you. So certainly we won't get away with it in the kingdom when uh, Jesus says, "Did you give a cup of cold water even to those who were in need?" But in fact, Proverbs suggestion, you probably won't even get away with it in this world because you will be found out. Um, and uh, somebody else will inherit your wealth that you've accumulated unfairly and dishonestly. And that will be somebody who is kind to the poor. So let's see if we can sum this up a bit. If a man or woman is conducting business according to the fear of the Lord, and if your money is not your God, you'll not be afraid to use money for constructive purposes. You'll trade ex fairly expecting a fair return for your labor, but you'll have the mindset of the craftsman. If you're a motor manufacturer, you'll make cars, not money. And if you can produce a better car, you will do it firstly because it is better. You will expect a better return for a better product, that's only fair. But that's not your first motivation. Your aim is mutual benefit. You'll sell quality goods at a fair price. And if you're not a businessman yourself, but if you're an employee, then the same thing applies. You'll give a fair day's work and you'll expect a fair day's pay. It's not wrong to demand a fair day's pay and if you have to join a union to do that, then that's, I think, not wrong. But for that, you will give a fair day's work. You'll exploit neither your employer nor your customer. In fact, if necessary, you'll take a loss yourself to assist 
those who are in real need. And above all, you'll not attempt to cheat, because to do so is to cheat God himself and to disown the very things that the Lord delights in. And you'll always bear in mind that the Lord, your Heavenly Father knows that you need these things. You need food and clothing and other stuff. And I don't think, as I say, it's even wrong to say that perhaps more than just food and clothing. We do, you know, we have houses and we put things in them and it's not necessarily wrong in itself, I think. But we need to remember that we should be doing these for the Lord and that the Lord says sell your possessions and give to the poor not that we should be doing that every time all the time but that we should be part of our agenda to use our resources to help others and if we do make a the more profit we make the more that frees us to help others Paul says at one point I'm not suggesting you make yourself poor for the benefit of somebody else but rather that there is equality and fairness. So it's the Lord's purpose that prevails and if you plan against him it's not going to work. But on the other hand he says commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. Now I don't think this means necessarily that as long as you say a prayer at the beginning of your uh, whatever it is you're doing you know when you go out to sell your carpets or whatever it is you're doing as long as you say a prayer at the beginning you will uh, sell more carpets um, I don't think that's what it means I think it means that if you do things according to what the Lord wants you to do according organize plan the way that the Lord plans things then you will succeed not Invariably, unless this is a proverb, as I say, we, we know that in this fallen world things don't always work out as they should. As, um, uh, Nick McQuaker was quoting this proverb on Tuesday at the training course, and he said, Oh, I've certainly committed things to the Lord, and then they've gone pear shaped. But, um, but that is the way to go about it. And even if our plans don't succeed in this world, as I said, we're still living according to the values and purposes of the kingdom. And eventually all the wealth of the nations will be brought into the kingdom. One more slide. About reputation. <laughs> A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold saying the same thing again really to be a good craftsman to be remembered as somebody who built something beautiful is better than to be remembered as somebody who made a lot of money out of it um, and perhaps even more than that to be esteemed by the Lord by God by Jesus as saying well done good and faithful servant that is surely better than silver or gold. So, some proverbs about work. Let's uh, sing a, a hymn about this. And this is the only hymn I could find that actually is directly about this uh, subject. I did spend some time looking. 
It's 940, hymn by Charles Wesley. And it says, Fourth in thy name. Well, that's what the original says.